0: Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energised starts here. Take a moment now with me to Reset. I love food, so my guest this week is particularly special. Jo Pratt is an award-winning food writer, cook, food stylist and presenter. In this week's Reset the Podcast, we discuss what ignited her passion for food how she creates her recipes and how she finds balance in life as she has built her own brand. Jo shares with me just how she struggles with feeling guilty when she takes me time, such a common theme for so many entrepreneurs, but why it is so important to make resolutions to dedicate time for yourself to reset and relax. We discuss just how tricky and isolating Christmas can be for those struggling with their mental well-being, those with eating disorders or people who are just feeling lonely and she gives us some great advice on how to avoid the temptation of over excessive consumption and to treasure the mouthfuls and lovely moments we all have. For me, Jo is a wonderful balance of an entrepreneur, a mum, her own brand and a food evangelist. And I love her top tip. Just listen to your body and take everything with balance. If you have one unhealthy meal, it's okay. You can treat yourself, but by planning, we can all lead healthier and happier lives. If you are personally struggling with your mental well-being this Christmas time, we've provided some places to get support in the attached notes. I really hope you enjoy today's conversation. And if you do, please share it with your colleagues and friends. Thank you. Hello, Jo, how lovely to see you today.
1: Hello, nice to see you too. How are are you? you?
0: Yeah, I'm very good. Um, So on a scale of one to 10, how energised do you feel today?
1: Well, it's Monday. So Monday is, I think, probably even though it should be that day when you should feel really energised after a weekend. Monday, I find the toughest day of all. I think it's just like it's it's always hard getting up on a Monday um, to start the week, I find. And, you know, I'm working at home today. It's raining outside. But that, you know, that's that's the way it is. And that's the way it has to stay. And um, it's a good week ahead. So I suppose there's always that side of things that makes it good.
0: Good, good, good. Um, actually, I'm I'm always curious about this because you, I know you have different teams around you, but as uh, a chef, a writer, um, you know, all of those things that you are, you are basically you driving everyone forward, I guess. How does a Monday morning feel for you? Do you kind of look in your diary and go, I've got to make all these happen, things happen. Or do you have loads of things that are in your diary because everyone around you is making them happen for you?
1: No, I mean, actually, when you say I have probably lots of teams, it is mostly me. And there's various people I know that I sort of get involved in working with. But it is all down to pretty much all down to me as to what I do when. Um, you know the Monday morning. Well, in fact, I don't even wait for a Monday morning. I look obviously in my diary on a a, a Sunday, or, or I know the week before what I've got coming up. Mm. Um, and I know things can change. It's all a very sort of fluid um, job that I do. It's all you know, writing recipes, or or going and doing a photo shoot, or um, you know, cooking up something. Everything can change from one day to the next, which is which is great. But. I, I just sort of try and manage manage my own diary. Of course, and amongst my family as well, you know, the children because my kids are teenagers, uh, young teenagers, and still quite needy. Um, have a dog, work from home. You know, it, it's it's a lot. It's a work life balance, which I think we all have to do. But um, somehow it happens. Um, I do sometimes wonder how it happens. And so at the end of the week, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, sure. well, problem.
0: that's a lot for us to unpack. We're going to talk a little bit about some of those things um, today. But let's start with where did your love of food come from?
1: Oh right from right from my childhood I, I mean I grew up loving um cooking both of my grandmas were great cooks my mum enjoyed cooking as well so you know it was it was it was in my um head and in my in my mouth and in my heart and soul and everything right from the start and even when I was at primary school I used to um I mean, a lot of children won't say this but I used to enjoy um school lunches and I'd speak to the cook every day and say what are we having for lunch and I you know she I bumped into her a few years ago and she reminded me of it and it's it's just a passion I think and I always knew I was going to go into food in some way or form I didn't really know what and when I was younger I didn't know where it would go um, I knew one thing I didn't want to do was um when I was certainly in my sort of um early teens I didn't want to be a chef in a restaurant I would had a waitressing job and I thought actually this isn't really where I want to be it felt a little antisocial perhaps because a lot of my friends were you know they had maybe a daytime Saturday job and I was working in the evenings and that's when they were going out and having fun but you know I I, I didn't sort of have a a definite career path um, but I just knew it was going to be food um, and that's when I looked at my options really when it came to A-levels and and moving onwards from there. Gosh
0: because I I can imagine um, you know when I went to my career's guidance which was you know probably bizarre at school and I said at that time I wanted to be an actor they went oh no I think you should get a proper job when you said to school you wanted to do something to do with food did they say I don't think so
1: I remember filling out one of those questionnaires that you had to do I I think it was computerized at the time maybe not but I must have ticked a box at some point saying I wouldn't mind wearing a uniform. And I think in my head I was thinking uniform like apron or something. And it came back saying that perhaps I should be a prison warden or a traffic warden. And I think that's because I ticked the uniform box. Um but because I didn't know what food or area of food I wanted to do, it was it was quite hard actually for the school to work out what what sort of area. Often they'd say, well, go into hospitality and and, and catering. Um but actually I, I was quite interested in the nutrition side of things, even from a young age, you know, healthy, healthy eating and um I loved exercise as well as, as a child so I think that's where I sort of started to look into my own options. Um, I did a home economics A level and then ended up going on to do a food um, degree. It was called consumer, Food and Consumer Studies. I, I mean it had so many different modular options to it. Um, you could pick and choose different areas that you went to and I went more down the food and the nutrition route um, and then got an insight into so many different areas in, of work. It was quite exciting really.
0: Um, yeah Yeah, I'm sure and so you know you you just talked then a little bit about your love of food and the nutrition side because I think you know for us at Let's Reset I think one of the things I get asked more than anything else is how do I have a healthy diet and also enjoy my food
1: yeah which is a really really big question isn't it, yeah, it <laughs> there is. Is no and there is no actual answer we are all such different people and all right i say i, ha- I have an interest in nutrition i'm not a, a qualified nutritionist mm-hmm. um so i would never feel comfortable and in, in saying to people you have to have this you should have that because you know, it is a it's a very tricky area to, to sort of um i guess prescribe certain things to certain people um but I think we have to listen to our bodies. We have to listen to ourselves and, and just to know what feels right. And we know what feels wrong when we're eating it. I mean, obviously, we all hear that eat everything or eat things within moderation. But it, there is a lot of truth in that. You know, we all tend to like or really crave those foods that are the ones that are not necessarily that good for us. Um, you know, the high fat, high sugar foods. And we go, like, oh, I really want to eat that. But you know, if it's every so often, then great. But it's getting them getting them to balance out with some of the healthier foods um, that aren't going to be um, so uh, well. Just ones that sort are of more nutritionally balanced, I think, really. And it is all just about keeping a good balanced diet and mixing it in with with exercise. Um, even if it's just walking, or you know, making sure that you're if you're sitting at a desk a long time, just go for a walk around the the, the, the room. Or it's, it's so easy just to keep sitting sitting still, and you feel sluggish and and bit, sort of heavy um but it was move around a bit and and eat an apple and then you can you have you deserve that chocolate bar later on you know it is it's just keeping that right balance i think yeah
0: it's interesting we were um at a conference last week speaking um a a little bit about the program that we do with the tui people actually and they're brilliant we've run a program with them for about 18 months um one of the things that i've heard from them because we spent kind of four days together, but also I've heard from other people is, you know, they say, well, I have quite a simple diet. And therefore, I don't either like trying new foods, or I kind of eat what I eat. And it tends to be not exclusively, and I'm I am stereotyping a little bit, but you know, it's chips, it's pizza, it's the foods that we know, to your point, are good in moderation, but actually, there's a lot of those, I always look at them and think, there's loads of those ingredients and other foods that are more healthy for you. Why don't you just try them? And I wonder if, you know, one of the things I love about your In the Mood for Food, which was your first book series, was you could kind of go, oh, do you know what, I'm in the mood for some comfort food, but I want it a little bit better. Have you got a kind of, is there an approach that when people ask me this, I could say, well, why don't you try thinking about this type of food first?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I suppose it, it's very easy to fall down that trap of just, just having the same old, same old. And even when we go into the supermarket or do our online delivery or whatever, however we do our shopping, it, we automatically go to grab those those things. So maybe it is a case of, yes, OK, grab those things, put them out on your worktop and go, all right, so maybe I will just switch it up a little bit and just just try and introduce a couple of new things every so often just to get your your mind into to thinking differently and you, you open up your eyes into sort of other ingredients that are out there as well. And occasionally supermarkets move things around as well, which completely throws us, but actually it's a good thing because it makes you notice ingredients that were never really on your radar or they're at a different eye level um, to perhaps they used to be, but you know, it's, it's, it's just making your, um, your choices a little bit different, not completely different to, to introduce a different ingredient or um, you know, if we know that we love, I'm thinking something very simply like a you know a tomato pasta type a tomato pasta sauce very simple very basic but it's similar to a pizza you've got the, the carbohydrate base you've got the tomato top so can you, instead of have that um, sort of same tomato and carbohydrate mixture, can you switch it the other way and make the, the sort of the potato, the, the smaller part to it and the we thing, the bigger part, you know, do a nice big roasted tomato um, sauce and just, you know, top it with some, you know, as in when I say roasted tomato sauce, as in just chop up a whole load of fresh tomatoes, a bit of garlic, maybe throw in some basil or rosemary, olive oil, pop that in the oven until it goes really nice and, and sort of gooey and, and then, grab some bread instead of the pasta or, or the, the sort of standard pizza base, and then just um, crumble it over the top and pop it under the grill. It can go really nice and crunchy. Um, and then just a little bit of Parmesan scattered on the top. It's a, same, a similar dish, but it's a little bit different. And you've perhaps got more goodness because you've got more tomato in it than you would have done if you were having it as a, a pizza or a tomato pasta sauce, so to speak. Mm. Um, and then you, then you may think differently when you go out. Oh, actually, that sounds nice because it might be similar to something else I had. Um we fall in a trap of just getting very lazy, I think, with what we eat. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I love so that. I think that's a real that's really good, really, really good advice. Um so, you know, I sort of I know that before you did your first own books, you were you were kind of, I don't know what they call it. What do you do when you when you basically prepare and cook and and do it for other chefs, but then they, they show what's happening. What was that job called? There
1: were all sorts of names that we called ourselves, like Dog's Body and and <laughs> a Fool. <laughs> but, no, I mean, at the time, it was it was either, you know, the home economist um, on a project or the, the food stylist or the, the assistant to the, the chef. So it would be a lot of sort of chefs on TV programmes or um, the ones that were writing books or doing live cookery demonstrations. And you're basically their right-hand man, woman, person that uh, are getting everything there ready for them to do the presenting or the um the sort of the final stages of it really you, you you're there to, to do all the hard work for them um which well, you know it was great it was an amazing sort of start to my my career really because you now i worked with various chefs to start with it was mostly gary rhodes um and he was at the time a really popular chef um and he was writing books galore and doing loads of tv programs and it was really really good fun really hard work and some of my great friends now are people that i met then because we're all in the same boat we're sort of knuckling down we're traveling around the country um we're learning as we go along nobody really knows what they're doing all the time but um you you have those memories that will stick with you forever and it's the people that i met through that, for example, led on to so many other projects in the future. Um, I ended up doing my own book writing because of contacts through through that particular um, work in the first place. So it's my whole career has sort of evolved really through chance, I, I suppose, <laughs> rather than rather than deep ambition. I never really knew where I wanted to take it. It just kept rolling on to the next thing, which has always been really, really, really lucky. And I don't take any of that for granted. Um, um, no, and
0: I can see you know a lot of um, leaders that I talked to on this program talk about some of the inspiring people that they've worked with. Um, for me, Gary always seemed like quite an inspirational chef as you say he was he was kind of doing some quite new things at the time. Did, did you uh, as well as learn a lot from him? were you inspired by him? Have you learned some of those leadership qualities?
1: I was definitely inspired creatively writing recipes and putting flavors together, um, how you um, have to think outside the box a little bit. He was very known for the sort of you take your basic ingredients and turn them around the other way um, and make it into something extremely special. Um, and it was that that I actually really took away from it. Leadership qualities. Um, a lot of chefs are known for being quite hot headed, uh, at least back in the day, you know, not so much now. I think it's changed over the last few years and it's become a much um more welcoming workplace, I think, for people to go into. But certainly back in sort of the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, it was quite a a sort of an industry that would turn a lot of people away because a lot of shouting, a lot of um, aggression sort of going on in in that workplace, which certainly from a female point of view, it wasn't appealing at all. Um, But, you know, Gary, he was a great leader. People respected him big time, but I I wouldn't ever want to have worked in a a restaurant necessarily. with with him or other chefs in that um but he in his own way really appreciated everything that was being done for him um he was just such a big character and a big person I think it was just sometimes hard for you to realize that all the time but it was afterwards he always said thank you always said thank you to people and he was always there first um and that has you know you treat people how you want to be treated yourself I suppose so it's it's a good thing
0: I think that's interesting, your perspective on the culture. I mean, in, in many ways, it's quite interesting, parallel to the advertising agency, where the creative director, particularly in those days, was the all powerful person, behaved on the whole, often very badly, quite a sexist, quite a loud, quite an aggressive environment. Um, how did you cope in that environment? Because it's hard, isn't it?
1: Mm, I used to find it very intimidating at times, and most of the time I didn't really know what I was doing. And you know, on the outside, I think I probably put on a, a brave face and and a confident face. Inside, you're sort of crumbling and going, "Oh my God, I don't know what the heck I'm doing here," but I've got to try and work it through. And maybe I'm maybe I'm just you know, I was winging it a lot of the time. Um, and I think we all do in life, really. Nobody really knows what they're doing all the time, and and put on a brave face and get through it. And actually, you do get through it. And when you've done it, you feel amazing. Um, and I I, I suppose you know it's you you just realize what you may be how you wouldn't do it so if there is somebody that's being a bit sort of bullish and 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 sexist whatever you just think well that's that's how you're going to do it but I would never do it like that but I would just crack on and get my own thing done and and do what needs doing without feeling as though it's done your way it's sort of done my way because I'm I'm appreciating what you're saying but no I'll do it like this
0: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um and then you got your own book series how did that feel
1: oh that was the most amazing thing actually and and i, I do remember well i don't remember my mum remembers me saying when i was a child i used to pretend to be delia smith and uh you used to pretend to be delia smith but you you kind of almost became her in a way i was you know i was in awe of her she was she was sort of a female on tv and she wrote loads of books and so i used to say, oh, i'd like to love to be like delia smith when i'm older um and ended up getting a a first book deal which was amazing you know I ended up doing a lot of the writing for magazines and then got approached to write a a proposal for a book and it was just like this is actually happening you know I'm writing my own my own cookery book and the time it felt real when it was on the shelves you know you walk into your bookstore like waterstones and I saw the book there and you know I did and I thought terrible but I picked up the book and I put it in front of a copy of Delia so you couldn't see Delia's book you could only see me I was like sorry Delia I'm here now (laughs) Brilliant. it's always amazing that that first moment never will never go away from my mind you know I've written quite a few books since and it's still special when they come out of course it is but that very first one was the the magic moment
0: yeah and then since then which book have you been particularly proud of or just you know that's the one I really wanted to do
1: um I think probably in the mood for food, which was the first one, because everything went into that very first book. It was my thoughts and ideas from many, many years. And then it it sort of touched on lots of different areas. So the the premise of the um, the mood for food was chapters based on different moods that you might find yourself in. And you want to eat some food that will satisfy that, that desire for that food. So whether it's comfort food or healthy food, or uh, you want to do some entertaining and it's elaborate food. And I, I feel very, very proud of that one maybe because it was my very first one and you know ever since then each book has been very different and unique in its own way and it's a little bit like saying can you choose a favorite child because you put so much into it and you can't you'd feel wrong you'd feel bad if I said well I should prefer that one over over this one and they are quite different I think the hardest one to write um and you know people always say like writing an album is second album is always as ha- harder than the first one because, you know, you, you put so much into the first and have you got enough ideas. But the hardest one was actually the latest one, which was um, called The Flexible Baker. And that was written during the pandemic in the lockdown. Um, so trying to, trying to get hold of flour and eggs was virtually non-existent and they're the basis to most baking recipes. So um, um, I'm proud of, I suppose I'm prouder of that one than perhaps a lot of the others because of the, the effort that it took to write it and finally to get it out on time.
0: Yeah. I mean, how did, because actually you were like so many people during that time, I guess, impacted that you couldn't do any live events. At the time you had a restaurant, you have two, as you say, teenage children, you're trying to write a book, you know, you are your brand, you are the person that makes everything happen. Did How did you cope at the beginning when you must have for a moment realised that sort of everything was stopping and you didn't have business infrastructure around you
1: it was it was you know it was felt awful actually uh, so many things got cancelled within such a short space of time mm. that I rely on you know I, I don't have a regular income from as in a, a, a sort of a salary it's, it's all me it's all self-employed stuff and suddenly it's like oh this job's cancelled oh and that job's cancelled and then you start seeing everybody doing things online like cookery um demos that are all for free. doing it all under your own, uh, off your own back in your own home, and you've got that pressure to think, oh, I need to, I have to do that then, I have to keep up with everything that everybody else is doing on social media, and it I was really quite, I, I didn't cope brilliantly at the very beginning, not also, I, you know, suddenly there's a full house of people wanting lunch at different times, and radio stations are being changed by the second, and you know, mm-hmm. we were all going through our, our, great, you know, chaotic craziness, I know that, and obviously I'm very grateful for the fact that we had a roof over our head, and we could still get food in our mouths, but it was it was just a really quite sort of gutting time when you think that these exciting jobs won't happen um, and they would they, they haven't come back in the same way that perhaps they were in the first place you know, all the cookery classes it's taken such a long time to get things back back and it's still slightly different but you know you mentioned the restaurant I had I was I was involved in a restaurant and, and um, it was called the gorgeous kitchen at terminal 2 over at Heathrow and um, you know I was sort of was involved in it right from the start from the sort of the design process um saw it from a shell being built um and it was open for three four years and it was fantastic and an awesome it, it did not survive the pandemic it was one of the first restaurant well i mean airports were the first places to sort of yeah. completely go to pot because nobody was traveling and nobody was eating so um the restaurant just didn't ever reopen sadly it just couldn't survive the uh the hit so that's more gutting than anything I suppose and and I feel more for the people that were there on a daily basis because I wasn't I was I was involved creatively I was writing the menus with um three other female chefs that I worked with and um that wasn't our daily bread and butter but for many of them working there it was and their jobs just disappeared overnight and that's that was really sad for them and you know the now I actually haven't been back to terminal two I haven't been since so I don't know what it what it looks like I think it's just hopefully going to turn into something nice again but it's it's um you know, when when people put hard work into things, there's a, a lot of a lot of people that get impacted when it goes wrong.
0: Yeah, I mean, it feels like as like you say, you've had lots of highs, but you've got to be pretty resilient to even just live in the environment that you're in, be in that kind of career. You know, a number of resets, like the restaurant closing, but equally, just even I think like writing a book, and then which is amazing but then it's finished and you have to kind of start again or do something different. How do you get that kind of inner resilience and, and how do you reset when you've had those moments of real kind of difficulty?
1: Um, I think because there's always, well hopefully always something else that sort of is coming up that's there to look forward to, that's a bit different from the previous thing. You know, like when I've written a book and I've handed a press, that sort of send button, it's all gone and suddenly to the editor and actually, it's a bit of a letdown feeling it. Oh, I'm supposed to be feeling really happy. I'm now like, oh, but then you sort of think, oh, well, actually, this this is coming up next week. And that lifts you again. I, I'm a very I'm more glass half full than glass half empty. I always yeah. try to feel like I'm being like that and look on the positive and um, try not to, to look on the negative side. But of course, there's always going to be negative sides. But there's there's always things that make me be quite happy about things again like recently um I was doing some work at one of the pub in the parks I was presenting the cookery stage and that just made me realize just how exciting life and um my work can be because it was so varied to sitting at a desk writing a recipe or being in the kitchen on my own sort of cursing something's burnt and you know so that lifted me I suppose that was a bit of a reset I know you have got this because I didn't feel hugely confident before I went and did that I hadn't stood up on a stage and presented anything like that before well in front of so many people when I was introducing lots of other chefs onto the stage. Normally I'm just one of the chefs doing a quick demo and then I'm off. So this was a, a big job and I, I sort of was nervous and it was good to be nervous because it gets you through things, doesn't it? it sort of builds yeah, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but felt very pleased with myself afterwards that it worked and uh, didn't get booed off stage or fall over.
0: <laughs> no, I think it's a lovely thing. I've seen, I think we talked before, um, Nigel Barden does the one at, at Marlowe and my son Sam. You know him. Um, He worked for Nigel during the lockdown because it went through a a kind of similar. I mean, he has a different career to use, not a writer, but very much around events and stuff. And Sam went and helped him do some of the online things that he was doing. Um, But he said even, you know, when he had done those for quite some time, not doing them and then going back live again is quite daunting.
1: Yeah, I think it knocks you confident. You feel as though oh, actually, can I still do this? And, um, you know, Nigel's a fantastic presenter. He's got such a great bubbly personality and he did some brilliant things during lockdown and he was still presenting quite a lot. But at the end of the day, you don't, you're doing it to sort of a phone or whatever, aren't you? You've not got that live audience right in front of you. And it's it's that that you feed off and, um, you know, suddenly you think, oh, can I still do this? And, you know, luckily Nigel can as well, but- um, Yeah, no,
0: there was a lovely moment when Sam went down to help him um, do the Cheese Awards and his computer decided to overheat just at the quarter, sort of moment of, of when oh. they were presenting the finalists. It was all online and Sam was at the back of his computer with ice trying to cool the computer down so they could just get through the last bit. It was very funny. Very funny. You know, all these things you don't see do you in this in virtual world.
1: I know it's true, and that, see, they're the things that keep you laughing afterwards, and you want people to see as well because they, you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. Now, you have a boy and a girl. Um, do they love? Do they love your food? Do they like cooking?
1: Um, I'll, I'll answer your first question first. Do they like? Do they love food? My food. Um, they don't always love my food. They never have always loved my food. And I was talking to somebody recently, and she said she knows um, the um somebody who works at the river cafe and then somebody else um who oh, I've forgotten i think work with otolenghi and both of their children um each are a real pain that's like right, they're, they're a pain at school because they don't eat the school food because they just, like, oh, just don't really like food and you know my children just the same as normal children in the sense that yes you may have a lot of food on offer at home and lots of different things but there's they still can be fussy they can still be awkward um but they're starting to do their own cooking now they're 13 and 15 and um rosa my daughter's the younger one she's 13 and she loves baking um so she'll come into the kitchen and she'll just crack on and start cooking um and you've got cookies made before you know it and she's starting to do more savory stuff which is nice um and she's starting to do gcse um food tech which is quite exciting i keep sort of saying can i have a look at your homework so i can um join in but um and then ollie he's he's a big pasta fan and um i love but Phil, uh, my husband and I both sort of made sure that we have taught him um, some basic pasta sauces that you, know, you can just come in, make pasta sauce to go with your pasta, and um, you know, just it's a start. And then he can keep those recipes and you know build on them. And when he goes to uni, if he goes to uni, then he's got them there to to sort of um, add to. And I think it's important for all of us. Um, to have some sort of cooking skill. It's, it should be involved in school as a life, you know, life skill really to, to make sure everybody can have some basics um, because it's part of being you know, healthy really, isn't it? Having good food inside you not getting takeaways all the time.
0: Yeah, I think it is. And I think actually, I think one of the other things we've really seen during COVID was two things. One, you know, the people who couldn't really feed themselves that where there weren't free school meals and, and all that brilliant work that Marcus Rashford did, but also just, a focus on what a good diet looks like, what our children should be eating. Um, I know you've got, done a couple of projects where you're trying to help young children cook a bit more. Um, tell us a little bit about your thoughts around how do you help children love food um, and, and what can we do to to kind of just make it a bit more front and centre?
1: Yeah, I mean, it starts young. It has to start young. Um, and this is, this is the problem a lot of the time because a lot of the younger children now just not given those opportunities at home um and you know it's expensive cooking is expensive food is expensive so it's it's really just about trying to slowly get children used to um what healthy food is um the project you mentioned that i've been working on it's it's a a book project and it's called sami satsuma and um it's so lovely. And they're personalised books. So you've got co- personalised cookery books or personalised story books and poems and things. And there's been research done in the past where children will uh, associate um, healthy eating with characters or just eating with characters. So, I mean, uh, do you remember the Coco Pops, the little um, monkey character? Now, that's the character we always remember because Coco Pops aren't the health, healthy food that we necessarily yeah. want our children to be eating, but they remember the, the monkey character. So um, there's this sort of wonderful range of, of um books and characters, all based around fruit and vegetables, that children can go, oh, look, there's a Sammy Satsuma or there's a Buster Banana. Um, and they're fun stories and they're little characters. And um, then the children, or whoever's buying the books, create a little cartoon um, character about this particular child that they're buying it for. So, um, you know, it might be a, a brown-haired, brown-eyed, um, short, sort of curly, mop of a head. Um child with little sort of blue dungarees on and it looks very, very similar to the child that you're buying the book for and you put their name in it and, and it's their book, it's about them. And the recipes in there will have their name on throughout and it's it's written to them and they can go, oh, This is my recipe book. So now you know be now now, Sam, now you need to um, put on your apron, get your adult helper to get this. Now, Sam, do this. And Sam, the next thing you want to do. So, Sam feels really part of that whole book. And then, when he can you, you try and encourage your children, not just in this book, but what, what I really think is important if your children are young is to encourage them to get involved in choosing a recipe with you or choosing what they want to eat and try and bring in some healthy ingredients into it and get them to help chop. You know, even when they're in a, as young as sitting in the, the trolley um, and you're pushing them around, you know, just say, that's a banana. Tell them what it is, and get them to put those healthy ingredients into the trolley, and then prepare it with them. It's all time-consuming, and it doesn't have to be every meal, but it's slowly bringing in those healthy food aspects into the children's mind, um, so they don't naturally go and grab unhealthy food when they're getting getting older and, and making their own choices. Um, and then, you know, some basic um, healthier recipes and, and things to, to cook doesn't have to involve lots of ingredients you can do some very healthy things with with um your know, children's food or even adults food which doesn't have to cost the earth and and then now with the sort of financial and food and sorry and energy crisis there's various um ways we can cook to make it cheaper you know slow cooking or just one pot dishes um yes. it's getting yes. harder it's the winter we don't always want salads but you know sort of it's, yeah. it's just trying to make ourselves think a little bit more and and get children to, to feel yeah. involved. I think that's the main thing just improvement.
0: Yeah. What's your view on the on the new fad around the air fryer?
1: Is it called an air fryer? It's called an air fryer and I haven't ever used one. Okay. Um, so I can't comment too much. I mean slow cookers yes I've used um every type of cooking I probably have but I haven't an air fryer and I haven't used one. Um so I, I don't know, I can't really sort of comment too much, but I know that they are very popular um, and a very low-fat way of cooking. I don't know economically how uh,
0: how they work. Well, I mean, they're quite expensive to buy. We've got one, because I tried, because I thought, oh, well, I'll try it. In fact, the chairman of one of the companies I'm on the board of recommended it. I then got it delivered to the house, and Jazz has used it constantly for the three weeks that I've been travelling and not been at home. So she yes. says it's great, and, and it is cheaper, but whether it's... You know, I don't know whether it balances out. I think if there's only a couple of you are living at home, I think it's probably great because you know, particularly I'm like, I don't really want to heat up the whole oven for one meal, um, mm. and and maybe it would encourage people to to cook a bit more if it's just a small thing. It is very quick and it does it does cook quickly, but I don't know, I'm not sure. Uh, but anyway, we we quite. I am looking forward to trying it when I'm at home for long enough.
1: Um, yeah, I look forward to hearing your feedback on that because I, I am tempted to give it a try. But I think, you know, like you say, with putting the oven on, it does use up a lot of energy. And if you're going to put your oven on, this is where we have to think a little bit again is what else can we use that oven for? What can we make at the same time that's there for another day that doesn't need that long cooking time another day? You can just quickly heat it up in a microwave. It's it's using that energy wisely, um, really, and, and just
0: yeah.
1: being clever with it. But it just takes a little bit of thought yes. um, behind it. Mm. It does, but
0: even just cooking double the quantity and then freezing it, it's such a headset thing, isn't it? Because I oh. think so much of the time, and I and I wonder whether, I don't know, I don't really remember my mum when I was young cooking extra. I mean, we might have extra and you had to have it lunch, for lunch the following day, but I don't yeah. think it was that whole. I mean, they certainly do that now. You know, they freeze stuff and cook stuff. Um, mm. But I think it was quite a headset change for me to go from doing... You know, because if a recipe's for four, I'd make it for four, not a recipe for eight, and then freeze half of it.
1: Yeah, I think so. there's nothing nicer as well, knowing that you've got it there, ready for another. It's like yeah. a ready meal, but like a homemade yeah. ready meal that you've done. You know what's in it, and it's got ingredients that are better for you than buying, and cheaper than buying a, a pre-made. Um, ready-made dish. If I was doing, you know, a bolognese, I would always double up, no matter what, or a, or a chilli. Um, I always have done, because I just think, if I'm, if I'm already going to the effort of chopping up the vegetables, I may as well just chop up extra. It won't take twice as long, because it just generally doesn't, um, and leave it to cook, um, and then it's there, it's there for another day. And, do you know, it always tastes better the next day anyway, or, or once it's been frozen, things like bolognese or chilli, they're so much nicer. Yeah, it's, absolutely, I mean, not, absolutely. <laughs>
0: Um, So I'm just interested, again, about this sort of how you manage your life and how you get any time for yourself. Another big question I'm asked a lot, and particularly by women, is I don't have time. Everyone else is more important. You know, you you said Phil's got a big job, you've got the kids, you've got this amazing kind of career that you're trying to juggle and doing so many different things in. How do you find time for yourself?
1: I'm not brilliant at finding time for myself in the sense that if I said, I know I'm going to book um, a massage, I would never do it because I feel guilty. And I've never ever got over the fact that I don't know why I feel guilty, but I've always really sort of worked for myself and managed my own time, I suppose. And it feels a bit too, um, I just, I get filled with guilt doing things like that. But I have, but my time for myself really is actually structured time. So we have a dog, so I actually love taking her out for a walk, so that is my time for myself. But it's because I'm doing something and I don't feel guilty about it. Um, mm-hmm. I play hockey and I enjoy the exercise side of things and that's, that's my time. It's away from work, it's away from the house, um, but it's structured, it's doing something. I'm not very good at doing nothing unless I'm on holiday. Um, and then I can completely switch off because I don't feel guilty. I f- I feel like I should always be doing something to do with work. If I'm, if I'm doing nothing at home, um, if I'm on holiday, it's fine. I can switch off. I'm allowed to do nothing. And it's, it's probably a really bad way to be because I shouldn't feel guilty. I know I shouldn't, you know, when you're busy, you deserve your quiet time. But I think maybe that's just working for yourself. Sometimes talking to a lot of other people that, that don't have a, you know, they have to manage their own time like that. They, they do have that guilt side of things of, of never quite knowing when they are allowed to be. Yes,
0: <laughs> I, I completely agree. I think that it, there's a combination, isn't there? Uh, there's a bit of FOMO, that if, mm-hmm. if I don't do this piece of work, maybe I won't get any more. I might miss out on something, might miss a, on, on opportunity. And then I think that kind of natural feeling of, you know, you are kind of looking after everyone and, and it's okay doing exercise. And and I think for a long time, I was the same, exercise is fine. Because exercise is good for us, so it counts. Yes. Very important it's not really you know like going for a massage and, that, and I think you know we talk a lot about when you're on an aeroplane they always say the, the uh, air stewards say you know put your own oxygen mask on before you help the person next to you and you know maybe having a massage or something like that is is that moment but mm. it is so difficult to get rid of that feeling of guilt but I'm not sure really why we have to have it we don't have it you can go you know you look you work really hard you can go and have a massage if you want one
1: I know and I think as much as you tell yourself that sometimes it just doesn't you, you can't switch it as easily as that and it, it's a shame really um but at least if you can get your sort of release I suppose you know like I say like it's going for a dog walk and, and actually my favorite type of dog walk is on my on my own I mean as in you know obviously I love a family dog walk but if it was a weekly one I wouldn't and walk onto the local high street um, with the dog. That's not a dog walk because I might bump into people. I don't want to chat. I don't want to see people. I like to just go to the big park uh, in the middle of nowhere and you know, just, just just walk. I may have my headphones in. I might not. I might just be listening to the world, thinking about goodness knows what. But that, I suppose, is my escape um, and my, my me time. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Well, maybe one of your New Year's resolutions might be to have some other form of luxury for yourself that, uh, that you indulge in over the next year just to make yourself feel even more yeah. loved.
1: You're right, I probably should be. Some people say it's cooking, which I love hearing it when people yeah. say that, that they yeah. escape with cooking, but it never feels like that to me because it's part of my job. So I'm always I thinking, oh, I need to take a note of what I'm doing and, oh, I've got to do this. If it's work-related to anybody, I suppose maybe that's what a lot of people struggle with, if it's linked in any way or form um, to, to what they do as their job. That's yeah. why it's hard.
0: Yeah, Yeah. well, exactly. We, we know one of the seven needs is having a creative outlet, and if your creative outlet is, you know, cooking or something you love, or it's the same when I talk to artists, it's the same thing, you know, because you you then don't count that one and, and nor should you, because you should think of something else that gives you that sort of moment of outlet uh, to make you feel good. Um, yeah. the, other, the other big need that we talk about a lot is this sort of sense of purpose. And, you know, I feel that very much with the book, the, the recent children's book that you're doing and the recipe, which I love. Uh, I had a sense of it when you were three women chefs with your restaurant. You know, there was a real kind of sense of quite unusual for women to come together to create something, you know, really, really inspirational. I think particularly for other young females that want to be in that world. Um, what else do you have that gives you that sort of sense of purpose? Yeah.
1: Um. No, it probably sounds really cheesy, but when I see how amazing my children are becoming, um, and that gives me a sense of purpose. I think you're you're turning into something that I've helped create, helped sort of build upon, and you know, I see them achieve something, and it makes me want to carry on doing other work things or other things well as well, just so they can sort of look up to me and think, okay, well she's doing that. That that gives me a sense of sort of I've got to I've got to just I want to carry on doing stuff and and do it well. Um, whether it is writing another another book because it's for them to keep as well and they can keep with them for as long as they live, um, I don't know. It sounds really cheesy, but it's true. You sort of the, the older they're getting, the more I sort of feel like it, I suppose, because they're they're turning into young adults and yeah. um, they spot everything that you're doing. They, they don't miss a trick, and I don't want them to yeah. embarrassed about anything I do, <laughs> which they probably are most of the time. But um. oh,
0: no. I think it's lovely, actually. I think having that sort of legacy like you have with books and you know the programs and things you've written gives that for Rosa and I it's lovely isn't it because they will be able to see you around them um mm-hmm. forever we, we all will which is rather which is rather nice
1: yeah, um I wonder if anything from my books is another matter altogether they'll <laughs> probably just go ah it's all old-fashioned now we move on
0: <laughs> well you know as you know your brookies um, which I think that's in your, isn't that in your bake one bakery? It is
1: it's in the flexible baker, the latest one, yes.
0: Flexible baker. So in our household, that is Sam's absolute favorite recipe. And our friend, I know you because of my lovely friend Sonia. Um, she introduced us years and years ago. And brookies are our absolute favourite. So everyone <laughs> can make them. I make them the least well. Uh Sonia definitely makes them the best, probably close second to you. Um <laughs> But, I don't know. Uh, even even exactly. our dog, exactly. Even our dog that is not allowed to eat them because it has chocolate in it, she absolutely goes mad and tries to eat them as well. So, you know, they are they are a firm favourite.
1: Um, um that's you know, for anybody that doesn't know what a brookie is, it's yes. half a brownie and half a cookie. So the bake it's like a big roasting tray or baking tray, and you've got biscuit like cookie cookie dough mixture on the bottom and then the brownie mixture on the top and you bake it, and then when you cut into ha- in half, it's just like this lovely double layer of, of yumminess. Um, and really easy to do they are you know you say you bake them badly you won't bake them badly there's no such thing they just will look slightly different and they always look different every time but they still taste the same.
0: They do taste amazing and that sort of comes brings me on to that sort of last point which is Christmas you know it is lovely to indulge it's lovely to have brickies Um, Mm -hmm. but I think for a lot of people it's a time where You know, we spend a lot of time on planning food and that's fantastic. But I think also for some people, it's quite a difficult time um, as food is concerned. And I think, you know, there's lots of things that trigger that might be to do with the fact that they're not with their families or their loved ones or that food is a bit more tricky for them. You know, that there's as much around eating a lot as not being able to eat the things you want or eating in excess and I wonder, particularly for those people who want to try and have a lovely Christmas, doing lots of lovely things, but maybe not overindulge completely so that they feel racked with guilt in January and have to go on a hideous diet. What can people do?
1: I think the problem a lot of us do around Christmas time is we overbuy. We feel there's so much in the shop. We've got so much advertising telling us to buy this, have this and we got overexcited and we've perhaps grown up with with having a lot of everything. I know I certainly have, my mum would buy anything and everything just in case. And mm. we've perhaps taken on a lot of those um, habits as well. And and you don't need to buy as much. At the end of the day, Christmas lunch is just like Sunday a Sunday lunch, really, with a few extra little bits, but it doesn't mean you have to eat twice as much on every meal. And, it's perhaps just scaling things down a little bit. And especially now with the fact that we are probably all watching our pennies a lot more. Um, it's a good opportunity to go, well, actually, do I really need to buy that tray of canapes that I'll stick in the freezer just in case? Maybe not. No, I won't. And I don't need to buy the extra tin of chocolates and, um, yeah. just, it's, it's thinking a little bit more and perhaps just going slightly smaller on the portion sizes as well which we're all guilty of around this time of year you go oh yeah I really like that well, it's going to be lovely you will eat it again it's not the last time you're ever going to have roast turkey you go you can have it you yeah. can have it any time of year basically but we just get over excited and I think just step back and go okay so maybe I'll I'm feeling full I'm going to stop at this um we overindulge on alcohol as well. I mean I am hard if I want to talk and I'm not going to say Cup, don't don't drink because we're going, to, we're going to we're going to celebrate. We're going to have a nice time. But I think it's just just a case of even use a slightly smaller plate. Um which is because mm-hmm. we always bring the big plates it? Big yeah. Big plate. yeah piled really full. Stick to standard sort of normal size plate. Make that full yes but um I think we just have to really be quite strict with ourselves and and mm-hmm. just not go overboard unnecessarily and and keep moving. I think this is also the same thing around, especially around Christmas day in particular, it's quite easy just to sit still, just keep moving, go for a little walk or or go up and down the stairs. Um, Give your food chance to digest and eat it slower. Um, Slower you eat, the less you eat because you get fuller quicker Um, and have a good glass of water every so often as well which keeps you quite full but you know it's, it's the lead up to Christmas as well isn't it it's the parties yeah. and um the opportunities where you just sort of it starts early um continues right the way up until Christmas and then you get to the sort of the new year and you go oh no I, I, I feel bad now but you know in some ways yes we've got to enjoy it you've got to in- embrace it I and mean, we missed a couple of Christmases through Covid um yeah. celebrating in that way uh so of course it's, it's just trying to like everything in life getting getting the right balance but yeah. I think just try not to just just scale down, just scale down on everything a little bit and then you might feel happier. Yes,
0: I, actually, I think that's really good insight that, you know, I think, again, from when I was growing up, we always had lots there and and it because we hadn't got the same excess for the rest of the year, it was very exciting. Um, but actually, it is only a day and you can have lots of lovely tastes. You just don't need to have excess like you can have a few drinks but you don't need to have constant and and i do wonder i'm sure so much of it is psychological rather than than that actually what we really need
1: yeah yeah completely and you know our flavor if if you enjoy the certain flavors that remind you of christmas you know the cranberry sauce or the or the um the sage that's in a lot of the things and Mm. uh, chestnuts bring those flavors in in different ways um you know, you can know, have a little bit of that, that that just triggers your mind go, oh yeah, I've had that now, I'm happy. Um, you don't mm-hmm. have to have lots of that little thing. Um, it's, it's, it's the memories that Christmas brings back to us and those yeah. flavours, they trigger, trigger nostalgia in us, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, if you've got too much food in the house, you feel guilty and you feel you've got to eat it. Um, so just don't go overboard in the first place. Um, yeah. Still going yeah. to be, like I said, stuff's, stuff's available pretty much all year round. <laughs> Yes exactly and I do think that's that it is that thing
0: isn't it why do we buy so much food because the shops are only closed for two days it's really it's really not that hard I agree and what does your Christmas uh, day boxing day look like what do you what do you do uh, what are you doing this year?
1: This year we'll be um, at home in London Um, my family are Leicestershire based so we, we always used to sort of switch, um, maybe one year there, one year here. Um, so this year it's London, and um, hopefully we've got a fair amount of family coming down to to stay with us as well, which would be nice. And uh, Christmas has always been based around um, a very late lunch. Um, I grew up in Melton Mowbray, so I'm from the land of pork pie, and it might sound strange to a lot of people, but breakfast for us was pork pie and Stilton cheese and butt's fizz. It's a really weird start to the day for a lot of people because like what? But that was a tradition. So we will still do that tradition because I like to keep it in the family. Um, but I will be doing thin slices of pork pie, not big slices, just yeah. to keep Perfect. it in Perfect.
0: And do you do all the cooking or does Phil cook as well? Uh,
1: well, my mum will be here and she loves oh. getting involved in the cooking. Um, we work well quite well in the kitchen actually and, and phil phil really enjoys cooking but actually when it comes to something like this I and mean, if my mum's in the kitchen as well it's just like okay there's too many cooks now i think i'll just step back he'll do the drinks and he'll be in charge I was gonna say, he'll probably chief
0: entertainer won't he
1: probably <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's always i enjoy christmas and i think that you know it's 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 nice to have that big build up boxing day is the day of of sort of decompress i think it's always quite exhausting isn't it sort of uh getting getting up to christmas um Yes. And then it's quite nice to plan a few things between Christmas and New Year, because that can be quite a flat period for a lot of people. You know, mentally we can feel a bit bit flat. So um, that's the time to really sort of think, let's make a plan and meet, meet up with a friend and go for a, a, a walk somewhere or, um, you know, get that fresh air and, and not just sit and watch TV unnecessarily and eat that leftover chocolate. It's it's a case of, of get some fresh air and, and yes. reset, you know, reset for the new year. Yes. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. And, you know, we're not great fans of doing the kind of loads of New Year's resolutions, but just having those moments of reflection of what, what do I want to reset for next year? What do I want to start doing? What do I want to maybe stop doing? Um, have you had chance to think about what next year looks like for you? Have you got anything, new things
1: planned or... Yeah, I'm going to be writing another book. I've got another book on the go. Well, I haven't started writing it, so that will be my new year, <laughs> new year project. You I think. mean, are we allowed to know what it's about? Um, it's not 100% sure yet. It'll still be along the flexible um, okay. theme. So the the flexible being, I mean, my last four books have been flexible. So they're bringing flexibility of where you can swap and change ingredients to suit your dietary requirements or your mm-hmm. lifestyle needs. So they've all they've all had that to them in some way or form. So this one will also be that. But I think I'm going to very much base it around sort of simple cooking, maybe maybe one pot, one pan type things that quick and easy, economical and stress free. Um, my life, I realize I'm just not wanting to spend forever faffing around doing the washing up afterwards. So, so it'll be you know, recipes that hopefully will go down well with lots of people. So that, that'll be the sort of best part of the beginning of the year, getting my head down and, and writing that and um. We'll see. You know, I'd love to do more um, bits and bobs, like, sort of, like the pub in the park type thing, sort of standing up and in front of a, a live audience and hopefully some things, a few things bubbling around. So it might come up um, with that and more cookery classes as well. So, uh, yeah. Oh, yes.
0: yes, well, we look forward to your cookery classes as well. Well, thank you, Joe. So lovely to talk to you. Hopefully uh, when you launch your book next year, maybe we can have another conversation and talk about some of the recipes there and, and what you've been doing and, and, and how you can flex your life to to you know be able to make the most of enjoying food
1: brilliant yes exactly well that'd be really nice be nice to have another catch up lovely thank you joe thank you
0: (laughs) thanks for listening if you've enjoyed reset the podcast i'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues friends and family Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.